This is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience Podcast. Rev AI is the most powerful artificial intelligence tool that I know of that converts speech to text. My guest this week is Dan Kokoda, a co-founder at Rev and currently vice president of engineering. Verbal communication is the most efficient form of communication we humans use, but it isn't easy. Sometimes we cause confusion or even conflict when we accidentally, or maybe not so accidentally, use a word or a phrase incorrectly. That's just within our own language. Now ask a machine to accomplish this very same task seems to me to be extremely difficult. What if we try to do that between languages? As you can imagine, it gets exponentially more complicated. Well, Dan helps me and us to understand how the AI tool works and the fascinating possibilities in this space. It's an amazing conversation. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So please join us for the conversation on the next QTS Experience. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data, how we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. Three, two, one. Dan Kokotov. Did I say that correctly? You got no. it. Did I? Yeah. I want to try it again. I don't believe it. Kokotov, that's correct. Is that true? That, that's even better. But that's even better. All right. Well, I'm going to keep that one. So funny because uh, I've heard your name said a hundred times and every time I'm like, I got it, I got it, I got it. And then in the pressure of the moment, I didn't nail it exactly, but still practice. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. So before I dive into my first very important question, we must let the audience know that um, we may get some uh, guest noises in the background. It's not uncommon. We hear animals or employees. We're all work at home. I happen to be in the studio today, but it's not an uncommon experience. And we may have some junior employees of Rev introducing themselves, hearing them. Okay. How many children do you have? Uh, I got two kids, two girls. Two two girls. What are their ages? They are um, nine, almost 10 and seven. Oh, so sweet. So just before we came on, I was getting a panic 911 text from my oldest daughter who's 23. So I've been married 35 years. I've got 23, 21, and 19 years old. Some are home from school for the season. Others decided they didn't want to go to school, so they're working. I'm moving my oldest for the third or fourth time in six months. And um, there's just so many good things I don't want to scare you with that you have to look forward to, especially with a house full of girls. Are you guys, you guys going to have any more kids, do you know? No, I think Not the plan. Uh, barring, barring any, you know... <laughs> Uh, surprise, uh, you know, surprise us. I think this is it. This is yeah. It. It's, uh, did you have brothers and sisters growing up? You know, I didn't actually. I was uh, oh. an only child, uh, which in Russia I think was fairly common. Uh, right. It's to be only children. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I, I hope that like when my kids are 23 and 20, I'll be as, as cheerful and uh, happy as you, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, they beat it out of you. Dan, they just beat it out of you. We were married 12 years before we had kids. And I remember saying to my wife, I mean, I love my children. I love them. But I remember saying it to my wife at the time. We had been married probably 10 years or so, 10 and a half years. She's half half Japanese and half Irish. Mm-hmm. And she comes from a very large family. I'm the oldest of a large family. I was like, we don't need kids. Look at our bank statement. For the first time in forever, we have something left over at the end of the month. Uh, we've got this kind of freedom and... Uh, she didn't. She didn't buy into that, and if they don't buy into it, you really don't have much of a choice. So, yeah. it's uh, been an interesting experience. Good luck. That's all yeah. I'm going to say. Good luck. 
Thank you. Well, it's it's been it's been pretty you know it's pretty it's been pretty rewarding so far. So yeah, we'll, it is. We'll yeah. Well, you're just uh, you're just about to come around the the Cape of the Horn and go into the <laughs> into the real rocky water. So we'll we'll be talking to you once you make it to port. Uh, see, see. Now, like think. now, I'm like thinking of all these like geographical, you know, like. Uh, like, is it the Cape of Good Hope or is it the like Cape Fear, you know? like what, All what of them. <laughs> All of them. None of them are easy. I don't care what size boat, what part of the world. Right. Hey, uh, well, thanks for coming on. Before we get into the meat of one of the most fascinating subjects I can think about today, uh, artificial intelligence, speak, speech recognition, and all the possibilities of that, I've got to ask you one of the most important questions as I've listened to you speak now for probably six months in a variety of formats. Why in the world do you think Dune is the greatest science fiction book written of all time? And have you changed your mind? And question number three, now that you've seen the movie, because I'm sure you have, the re-release, what's your uh, what's your opinion? So let in whatever order you want to tackle those. Yeah, yeah, these are all these are all good questions. I've actually um Funny enough, I haven't finished watching the new movie. I am like, I just started watching it like a couple of days ago. And really? Mostly it was, uh, so mostly it was because I wanted to see it in the theaters. It was like one of those right. movies that felt like it should be seen in theaters. Uh, but then I was busy. Um, and then the movie disappeared from theaters, but then also like disappeared from HBO Max. Really? And then I had to like wait for it to come back. So now it's back. Uh, and I watched it with my wife, and we're almost all the way through. Um, it's it's quite good, I would say. Uh, it's better than I expected, but I still I don't know. Like maybe it's just like bias from like previous experience. I still retain like a fondness for the original movie. Sure. Um, and just like uh, the way that um, you know the way that. The ambience of the place, the way they portray like the guild navigators, and like, like I still can't get that image of my mind when the guild navigator arrives and it's got like a huge tank, right? And then like the like the weird bloated head floats up, and you know, that that's just such a chilling moment. I'm not yeah. sure there's any like chilling moments like this in the new movie. It's just good, right? But it's not chilling. Uh, I as we talk about before we dive into the book, talking about the movie, what the way I expressed it to my wife because I love. Frank Herbert and I love Dune. Um, I remember when that book was released. I'm a little bit older than you, so probably a decade or so, maybe even older than that. And so I was um, fully into Asimov and Clark, and my dad was a big sci-fi reader from back in the day. And when I saw the movie, it's not dissimilar to me to Star Wars or some of these, or Jaws or whatever. There was nothing to measure it against. And so it's easy today to kind of pick holes with the CGI and whatever, but at that time, to capture the essence of a book, and to, I was so surprised and so shocked so many times that um, while the, I love the new movie, we actually bought the new movie, I completely enjoyed it, but it's a... Um, it's different than your first love. It's not that it's not beautiful and elegant, and I love how they didn't try to re reinterpret a bunch of things. It's a, it's a, um, you know, it's a nuanced version. It's not as garish as the '80s and whatever. And I get it, but it, 
it's like the difference between your very first time you show up to prom or whatever, and you're in that terrible outfit, but it's such an experience that it's overwhelming you as opposed to 40 years later in a very elegant theater where everybody's beautiful and elegant and it's beautiful, but it's just, I don't know. I'm more jaded. I would almost said sophisticated. That's not true, but I, you know, it's just a different experience, but I, I liked them both, but the first one's near and dear. It was my very first experience like that. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's just like, uh, when you, things you experience, I think in that formative time, right? Like mm -hmm. when you're like in high school or in college, I think they just like make a deeper impact on you, you know, like maybe yeah. there's like more, you know, more space within yourself to like make an impact. Right. Uh, and so there's not like already that base layer of your life experience, right? Like that's like pushing against whatever impression the thing, um, could make like same thing with music. Right. I feel like I still, you know, Love the music I listened to when I was in right. college right? Or, or in high school. So I'm curious, back to Dune before we dive really, and hopefully my listeners, I'll probably have a chapter thing so they can skip this part, but I'm really curious. You said something in a couple different places, a couple different ways, and I'm wondering if Dune doesn't relate to you like this. And forgive me, I'm not, um, I don't have any, um, uh, I, I have one Eastern European friend. She's uh, Ukrainian. I know a couple other folks. I don't know anybody from the former Soviet Union or from Russia. But there's a theme in watching the Chernobyl series or just listening. And maybe it's a cliche, but it's this theme of um, perseverance. Like one of the things that's remarkable to me is that the is when um, uh, West Germany or not West Germany, the Nazis invaded um, Russia during the Second World War. And when you really think about the, what the Russians had to go through to survive, not just that invasion, but to reinvent themselves, fighting a retreat through that winter, and then rebuild their factories and rebuild all these other things and repel, at that time, the most powerful force in the history of the world, mm -hmm. it's unbelievable. So that, yeah. that comment on um, sort of the, uh, the hardiness of the, this group of people at the same time, there almost seems to be like a melancholy, like a like a like a like our story. Bono from U two once said, "You know, Irish stories aren't happy stories. You know, they're sad and they're beautiful, but there's a lot of melancholy woven in there." And you hear that, and a lot of Russian music and a lot of things, this sort of dark overtones. And so I say that all to say, I wrote this down because I wanted to make sure I didn't forget it. Sometimes you need a little bit of pressure and discomfort to make progress. Now you were talking about technology, but I wonder if the book Dune for you or some of these other things is there's something in your DNA, man, there's got to be some pressure and some, uh, and some discomfort to make progress. And that comes through in spades in that book. Um, no, for sure. Uh, you know, to remind uh, there's like a famous quote, right. Uh, you know, uh, something like hard times make strong men, you know, right, uh, et cetera. I mean, right. that's very much the theme of the book, right? Right. Uh, uh, and we kind of see it all like over and over again in history. Yeah. Easy times make weak men, weak men become vulnerable. Um, hard times make strong men. And it, you know, it's, it's, it's right. in vogue weak today. Hard to, times, hard right. times make strong men and so That's on. right. It's in vogue to attack masculinity, and I'm not talking about toxic masculinity, but masculinity that treats people as equals and works together to the common good, sleeps in front of the, 
the cave to you know protect the the occupants. Um, I've heard the metaphors are a million out there. It'd be sheepdog to protect the flock, whatever it is. Um, when we go through easy times, if we don't guard ourselves, this is throughout all culture, all of history, we um, we get lazy, and you know you need that um, not persecution, but that refiner's fire to just keep burning off the gloss um, and moving forward. So, yeah, that's like I think the, the theme of it's like I think the fourth book, right? God Emperor, um, you know, he kind of realizes that. The, the easy life like is leading the empire to stagnation right and he essentially sacrifices his well, not sacrifices but he kind of undertakes the role of the authoritarian uh to force this breakout right at the end of his reign right like right. Because he realizes that humanity needs that push to move right. beyond the current state um so uh yeah you definitely have that theme um, it's it's not an uncommon theme. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to draw this really, you're going to be amazed by this. And we didn't set this up. The Bible and D and D in, in the, in, in the, uh, Christian Bible, the Jewish Bible, there's this theme of God brings pressure to people to scatter them. Like they get the idea, they get the message and they just stay there. They don't not life's good here. And wherever the here is, or Jerusalem, whatever. We're just going to hang here, and he brings pressure, and he he causes people to disperse. I'm a dungeon master of a D&D, back to nerd things that all come together, and I happen to go to church, but D&D. And in the campaign we're playing, it's called uh, Storm, the Storm King's Thunder, and the premise there is the... Um, the, the, the god of the giants is frustrated with the way the giants are embracing their future in the forgotten realm. And he wants them to stop acquiescing to the dragons and to all this other stuff. And so he brings pressure and chaos to their world. And so they got to scatter. And I, I say those two things. I'm sure we've lost all of our listeners by now. But it's, <laughs> like it's this universal theme of humanity where... You know, if you turn on a boat under power, a boat, I own a small boat, a boat cruising across the lake, when that when that motor's working, you can navigate, you can go anywhere, you can experience all these other things. But when you turn off the motor, it doesn't slowly glide elegantly. It immediately drops power. And then almost just as quickly, it's pushed in whatever direction the prevailing current is or whatever. And for human beings, if we don't have that, you know, if we're just coasting, there's no such thing as coasting. If we don't have that pressure and discomfort to a certain degree, not extortion or, or um, persecution, but to a certain degree, we get thick like I'm thick. We, you know, we don't, uh, we, we, we're not at our best, I feel like. Totally. And I think it's like, it's actually this impulse um, is extremely strong, right? Like the push needed is quite significant. Like, uh, I, I recently read um, something that was totally new to me about um, the story of like Exodus, right? You know, mm, yeah. Exodus from Egypt, you know, God, um, uh, you know, well, smites the Egyptians, like parts right. of the sea, right? The Jews uh, uh, go on. Uh, but apparently there's this phrase, and I kind of can't quite remember, I guess if I, if I had a moment, I would like look it up. Uh, but there's like a, a sort of strange um, phrase there about um, how the Jews go in the desert um, and uh, yeah, I don't remember the exact phrase, but it's That's something okay. like um, the implication is that maybe actually four as many as four fifths of them didn't go, you know, mm. like uh, that even despite like, you know, 
you know, being enslaved, right, and right. Uh, being oppressed, uh, it was still way scarier to go into the unknown, right? right. Uh, even in that case. I, I didn't know that, like, uh, uh, that's like one of the, it is, you know, it's one right. of the interpretations, right? Like, as, yeah. as usual, the Bible has, like, fairly many right. serious phrases that you can right. read many ways, but this is one uh, interpretation, right? So, like, even in this case, where you would think, like, yes, like, time to go, right? Time to right. Get, get out of here. Uh, even then, most people weren't willing to go, right? So, uh, like to go into the unknown, you need a strong push, but that's right. where like all the discoveries happen. Isn't that true? And it's such a, um, and, and that, and that story true or not true that, 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 that metaphor, all religions, humanist stories, whatever, have some version of a story like that. Maybe, maybe not those exact antagonists and circumstances, but it is, um, Many of the people that had the opportunity to come to America in the early days of America didn't come because it was the unknown. The lure of private property, the lure of freedom, the the lure of opportunity pale compared to uh, servitude and tradition and whatever. I you know we just I, I don't want to take the risk of whatever it is, but a few, some against their will, but a few came and built it, and that's the that's the story everywhere. I think. The other story that's equally interesting to me of that Genesis story in particular, if you remember the story, those who did go, if the story's true, just just following along the story, it's so curious because, first of all, the most powerful people on earth at the time, the Egyptians, have to be forced to let you free. And so if the story's true, you see all of these examples of this. And then you then you go and you get to this impassable barrier, the Red Sea or the ocean, it has to, the laws of physics and all reality have to be broken in front of you. And you and I, or at least people like me, most of the people that struggle with believing the supernatural, like, look, if something just happened in front of me, I'd believe. Maybe, you know, maybe we would, maybe we wouldn't. But if this story, so this thing divides, you go through it, you see your enemy pursue you, come into it, and utterly destroyed. And two hours after you're through it, you're complaining about now. Great, now what? You know, I got my freedom, but where's my? What are we gonna eat? What are we gonna do? Like, I see that with my kids. I see it in myself. I see it in the world around me. I see it with my coworkers. We have this opportunity. We built. I'm one of the original members of my company. This isn't an infomercial for me. We're going to talk about all of, about Rev later. But so many times, I even have to remind myself: Look, it's hard. There's things we're trying new things. We got these things going on. And can you not have faith that we're going to get through this? Look at what we've come through. A bunch of knuckleheads got together that were college and coworker roommates, and we're going to go start this speech recognition and this other thing and we're going to have to navigate some stuff along the way but it's our it's it's human nature many times for us to get fearful about not just the initial change but then we venture out and we may run into a lump or two that we don't have it completely figured out and we got to have faith in each other you know what i mean yeah i mean like one thing just made me think is you know it's like human beings right like we're successful because you know, we have like, we're rational creatures, right? Like we're, we're, we have uh, the ability to like, you know, evaluate the pros and cons, if you will, right? Like right. make our decisions. At the same time, I think often uh, it requires like almost suspending that 
to actually like take something on like 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 building a company right like right. everyone knows like like there's like statistics like nine out of ten companies fail right uh so in a sense it's not a very rational thing to try to start a company right um but yet we do it right, right. Uh, so kind of like a weird a weird dichotomy right like uh sometimes it actually requires taking a leap that's maybe not super rational uh, right well, leap of faith to me, if you came to me and I didn't know you and you said, look, I just built a bridge across this canyon for you and your family to cross, go. I don't know that I'd have enough faith to do it. But if you came to me and said, look, me and these eight other guys have 150 years of knowing of engineering and architecture. Here's my degree from MIT. There's their degree from Cal Poly. Here's Auburn. We yeah. have sent, see all those people over there? They all cross this, like yeah. blind faith is a cult and it's foolish and it's um, dangerous. Evidence, evidentiary faith, I'm gonna give you all of these examples. In this case, I crossed the sea. I freed you from these things, all of this other stuff. You still require faith, but it's not um, stupid faith. It's not, look, I just told you, you can float, step off the side of the building. I remember when I jumped, uh, I was at Airborne Infantry a long time ago, and we spent a month before we ever jumped out of a plane, not just training on how everything worked, but they had to work our faith up to. And so we started off on a six foot ramp and then a 30 tower and then a 200 foot, like all these different things, trusting each other and learning. And we still had to have faith going out of that Huey or out of that C-130, which we did and gravity took over and we had to have faith in all of our equipment, but it wasn't blind faith. Does that make sense? Uh, of course. Totally. I see that with my kids, right? Like, you know, uh, and it's kind of amazing actually how, um, small progress turns into big progress, right? Like, yeah. like I think kids are the best way to see it because, you know, uh, I don't know, a year ago, uh, my daughter was trying to like figure out how to do um, somersaults and like round offs and whatever those, all those gymnastics things are called, right? Like she was super scared and like, you know, she tries a little bit and a little bit. And at first it doesn't seem like the progress will ever add up to something, right. but then like now six months later, she's like doing flips and right. it's no problem. She's an MMA fighter. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, how did those small steps turn into the big leap? It's it's hard right. to tell, but somehow it does. Uh, well, well let's great. let's move into small steps about Rev. So, yeah. by way of preamble, I discovered you through another podcast, um, and it was it's it's like everything just lined up. I don't know. Some people think it's coincidence. Uh, I think it's when the universe intervenes and chooses to remain anonymous, whatever it is. Uh, one of my favorite people to listen to is Lex Freeman. I'm fascinated by the people that he gets on there. And, you know, the, there are a number of other, uh, Rogan and others. But Lex is so personable to me um, and so relatable and so enjoyable. I find it, you know, you're ridiculous when you're listening to your podcaster play his guitar and he's just learning to play guitar. That's right. silly. But anyway... He started talking about the things that he loved, and one of the things, and he and I have this in common, not very many things in common, but is his love of technology that's easy, that's simple. And again, coincidentally, we had been trying in my podcast to figure out how do we turn our conversation into text, 
with timestamps. And I had been turned on to this marketplace. I can't even remember the name of it now with all of these people presenting themselves as, hey, I have experience. What, what kind of, is it technical writing? You know, and you're trying to figure out, it's almost like a dating app. Like, who would I choose? And what's their expertise? And so Lex starts talking about, guys, I'm going to have this guy come onto my show and he's going to talk about this tool. And not only that, but the tool can draw logical conclusions for you. It can do this basic stuff, but it can do all of these other things. And there's multiple versions of it. And I was like, okay, I don't, I love Lex and I trust him, but maybe he's too much. And so then I went and used the um, AI version, rev.ai version of it and came back. I was like, Cinco de Mayo, I've discovered (laughs) gold. And it's addicting because like all great tools, it lets you start for free. And so now I've done a few through Rev AI, but I've given them my uh, credit card and I'm waiting back for my first um, version of using the human part. So by way of preamble, can you introduce to us what's the big idea behind Rev? And then we'll, we'll start from there and we'll dive a little bit deeper into it. What is Rev and, and how did it come to be? Sure. Uh, well, maybe uh, I'll, I'll say the grand vision first, right? The sure. Rev is to understand the human voice, right? And that's, that's a big ambition. Uh, you know, even like, what does it mean to understand the human voice? We've probably talked mm. about that uh, for a long time. Um, but how it came about uh, is um, there was five of us, uh, five co-founders, and we were friends um, in college. And we always had this dream of starting a company. Uh, we graduated and we w- went out into the world. We scattered, uh, so to speak. Uh, and we did our own thing. A few of us, you know, actually used our engineering degrees and, you know, we built software and some of us went into business and other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 2011, um, one of us, Jason, he had this idea. Um, he had worked at a company called uh, Odesk, now it's called Upwork, right? And uh, uh, the company allowed you to basically find programmers. Uh, let's say you needed to build something um, and, you know, maybe you weren't ready to hire an engineer through Odesk, you could uh, find someone and they would, you know, a freelancer, uh, and, and they would and they would help you build it. Um, this was very powerful, right? Like it uh, really empowered people to do something they couldn't previously do. Um, mm-hmm. And Jason was a big believer in this idea, uh, but we wanted to do it a little bit better in a couple of different ways. Um, you know, one way was with Odesk, you kind of had to look through profiles of people, pick the right one. Um, and you probably were not in a very good position to do it, right? Because if you're hiring a programmer there, you probably weren't yourself a software engineering expert, right? So mm-hmm. it might not be very easy for you to uh, to figure out which one is the right one. Um, on the flip side, for the freelancers, that meant like they kind of had to spend a lot of their time uh, burnishing their profile, you know, like making it look nice, kind of asking customers for reviews. Um, so it's a lot of friction, right? Uh, and on the theme of making things easy, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, but ultimately what people wanted was to get something done, right? Like get some code written and the freelancers wanted the ability to, 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 you know, do what they love, like to, to, to program. So, um, the idea of, uh, Rev and at the beginning was called, um, box translate. Uh, and we started with, um, doing document translation is let's just make it super easy You can go to a website. Um, you need maybe a board certificate translated or a diploma, you upload it, we'll get it done and turned around. Uh, and you don't have to worry who does it or, or how, 
that's going to be up to us to figure out, right? On the flip side, for people on our platform, um, you know, maybe they have a skill in translating, you know, um, into French or, or Japanese, they'll come, they'll find, you know, uh, a certain uh, task to do, mm-hmm. and they'll be able to do them and they don't have to worry about um, this kind of profile burnishing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was the idea to like make um, this kind of work from home uh, uh, jobs great and easy and enjoyable um, and take all the friction and kind of like annoyance out of it. Uh, and it was a big success. You know, we started with translation. We then added audio transcription, you know, uh, for interviews or lectures or things of that nature. Um, and that was kind of like our most successful endeavor. So we kind of started iterating on that. Uh, and we added captioning uh, for videos, which was kind of a natural evolution. Uh, and over the first uh, few years of Rev, this is where, you know, this is where we went to make, to create kind of like the best human uh, transcription and captioning service uh, and the best place for freelancers to work on these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, come 2016, we kind of had this realization. Uh, well, there were two, two things happened in 2016. Like one, the deep learning revolution kind of got into full swing and we started seeing uh, some companies um, start to <laughs> offer automated uh, transcription that was usable, right? Before it was like really not very usable. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe you had like drag and dictate, maybe you could like dictate on your computer, but right. that was about it. Uh, it was starting to work by 2016. Um, and we realized uh, that we had built the world's greatest data set um, for training such a, um, such a system, such a uh, AI. Um, mm-hmm. We talked to a bunch of people and kind of understood that um, the algorithms, you know, are fairly understood. Uh, a lot of them are open source. There's a lot of toolkits, but what you really need is great data, right? Mm-hmm. And we had the best data in the world because, uh, you know, we had interviews, we had lectures, we had um, I don't know, depositions, right? We had like good audio, bad audio on the phone, you know, from the back of the hall, uh, two people, three people, four people, uh, men, women, etc. Right? Mm-hmm. As diverse of a data set as you could want, um, and so we decided like. Uh, if uh, automated transcription is becoming a thing, um, let's let's be the ones who make it great, right? Uh, um, even though, you know, the classic thing might be like, well, we do human transcription only, right? Like, let's stick to what we know, but uh, uh, it, uh, it, it seemed like a natural thing for us to do. So we started a speech team. Uh, we, for a year, just kind of had a couple of people working on it. Uh, and pretty quickly, we started making really good progress. Uh, and uh, a couple of years later, we were beating the best in class, you know, uh, companies like Speechmatics or Google. Uh, and um, that kind of like brings us to today. And, you know, where uh, where I have a special, I think, is we can bring the best of humans and AI um, to this area, right? To like to helping people uh, understand uh, and get value out of all their recorded audio, whether it be meetings or um, something else. When you when you first get started with something like that, with the with the AI side of it, how do you? I mean, is it is it you and two other people sitting there and evaluating? I take a machine. Did did you build your own AI tool, or did you use a third party to start with? Uh, so we, we started using a, a toolkit called Caldi. Uh, okay. 
this uh, uh, a toolkit um, built by a professor uh, named Dan Povey at Johns Hopkins. And okay. at the time, it was pretty much probably the most widely used toolkit for building speech recognition engines. Okay. Uh, um, so, you know, we didn't write all the code kind of like right. from scratch, right? Yeah. Of course. But that's just the, the beginning, right? Sure. And, um, there's a lot that goes into actually uh, making it useful from, you know, tuning it for performance to figuring out how to clean up the data um, to, to be able to actually train a good model, uh, to figure out how to select the right data. Uh, so there's a lot of aspects, but the kind yeah. of uh, the toolkit we, we use an open source toolkit. So when you start with that toolkit, because I'm fascinated by this, I get it when you've when you sort of it's like a well. Once you get the once you get it pumping and you've got the machine evaluating the machine and saying, okay, you're seventy percent accurate. So next time let's do it again. And it and and so it's it's teaching itself. It's you know as it goes. How do you get that well? Is it is it human beings evaluating the machine in the beginning to say this was pretty close? Now let's tune it to your point earlier, and and then okay, now run it again and see if we're closer. Yeah, well, we had a few uh, things going. You know, of course, at the beginning, um, it was us, you know, training it and trying it out and looking at the kinds of errors it made mm -hmm. and, and um, uh, figuring out how to like improve them. Then uh, we offered. Uh, automated transcription as a product, right? So uh, people could go on our website, um, you know, they would be submit an audio, like maybe like you did a podcast, right? Uh, and right. it would get an automated transcript and an editor, and they could like make changes, right? And so we could look um, either by talking to them or just seeing what kind of changes they made, right? Like we could see what kind of errors uh, the system was making, and then we could, we could figure out how to fix them. Um, and uh, the final kind of piece of the puzzle is, uh, when we were first doing human transcription, we, um, our freelancers, they just did it from scratch, right? You know, they start with a blank, you know, digital equivalent of a piece of paper, right? And they type right. it out. Um, nowadays, they start with the uh, AI draft, right? Mm -hmm. um, and from that, we can see on a much bigger scale what kind of mistakes the AI made, right? Like, because for every uh, audio that we get for human transcription, um, we start with the AI draft and we see what corrections our freelancers had to make. Mm -hmm. uh, and so now we kind of can start to automate and scale this process of like tweaking the model. How, I'm just so many questions as I'm thinking about this. How hard is it? So that's speech to text. How hard is it to, I don't know, maybe it's not the next step, but it seems like to me the next step is I take speech. Actually, before I ask that, let me ask something different. Um, I don't, I don't know that I've got to speak to somebody who's native Russian before. One of the things from every, I don't know, conversation or spy novel or whatever that I've thought of, because I, I grew up in the Cold War era, mm -hmm. is um, there's nuance to language. So. I believe you've said in the past that your dad, among other things, um, has offered translation services and um, even within the area of poetry, which just blows my mind because to take, just in a, staying within a, a native language, not traversing languages, to take a conversation into, um, especially if it's poetry, which is full of nuance, which is full of inflection, which is full of um, uh, so many subtleties and, and then to 
convey that, then to translate it into a different language without losing those subtleties is an order of magnitude I don't know that I can um, understand very well. So are we on the right path there? Is it that difficult to do? Um, well, yeah, maybe like multiple things there. Uh, yeah. So my dad, you know, like he, he wrote poetry um, himself. This was kind of like always his passion, right? Uh, okay. Uh, he wrote poetry in Russian, um, and then when we moved here, um, he still wrote poetry in Russian. Now he writes some poetry in English, but he also does translations. Like right. you know, he will, um, for, for you know, sort of like as his own work, right? Like he will pick a poet that he loves, you know, and uh, maybe translate from English to Russian. Uh, <clears throat> um, I, I would say that I think if AI ever is able to do that, like, well, maybe then we really have like you know crossed over, so to speak, right. right? I think we're pretty far from that. Um, because even translation compared to transcription, I think is, it is a more difficult problem in some ways. Uh, like uh, transcription, I, I, you know, you might something might be hard to hear, but there isn't a sense a right answer pretty much most of the time, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so you can kind of say, uh, word error rate is like the, the sort of measurement that we use as our North Star, right? Mm -hmm. And that's just, uh, taking kind of like what is the truth, right? Comparing it to like what the AI produced and looking at the number of words, insertions, like uh, new words that the AI added, deletions, which are words um, that AI missed and substitutions, which are words that AI changed, right? Mm -hmm. And so you could kind of get a measure of accuracy, right? Uh, now maybe you could go a little bit deeper and say some words change the meaning of the transcription more than others, right? And that's actually a fairly challenging thing to capture, right? To go like beyond the simplistic measure and find the like a good measure of how close to the meaning the AI transcript was. Um, but nevertheless, there's sort of like, a, you know, uh, there's, there's a definite answer, right? And like, you could get 100% of the words, right? right? With translation, it's not necessarily the case, right? Because uh, um, there is ways of sort of, there, there are certain concepts that don't exist in the same way in another language, right? And how to get that across can be difficult. Poetry is yet like one more step beyond that, right? Right. Because it's not just about like the literal, you know, did you get the meaning right of the word? Like, did you right. say that, like, you know, the fisherman is going to, you know, the market or whatever, but it's like the feeling and right. the mood uh, uh, and the emotion of it. Uh, and you, you know, you need to capture that uh, in, in the translation. So that I think, I, I don't think the AI is, 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 is on the path for that, but that's probably a good thing, right? In my opinion. Uh, you know, there's probably some things we should hopefully reserve for humans. Yeah, well, I, I don't know that's within the... One of the things that's unique about humans is we don't reserve very many things for humans, right? We, um, and I'm not saying that we have, uh, or at least all people, have something nefarious in mind when we innovate. But if there's one thing that we always do, sometimes in spite of evidence to, you know, the wisdom of doing it, we constantly... Uh, innovate and tr and try to solve it. But I back to the complexity. One of the things I I read that I thought was really interesting is that human beings have this unique ability to hear a a word that we've never heard before, but in context of a sentence, and we're pretty good not perfect but pretty good at inferring what it means. Uh, even as I've learned, um, I went to school, I learned Spanish, I've learned some other languages. 
and they could introduce, if I know the rest of the sentence and they introduce a word, I mm-hmm. can generally deduce where right. it's placed and how it's inflected and whatever, what they mean by that. Not always, but most yeah. of the time. And I don't know that if um, that's easily done with a machine, that, that that could trip it up. I had one somebody describe navigation one time that said, look, we're teaching these robots how to navigate. And when we went and put them in the field, all of a sudden they failed and we couldn't understand why. And the reason was in the, in the lab, they had white walls. And in this world, they had blue walls. And they didn't know what to do with the blue walls. It was a, an element that just blew their mind. So we had to teach them about blue walls. There was no inferring. Yeah, I mean, that, that's sort of like in a sense back to understanding, right? Like what does it even mean uh, for a machine to understand? Um, and could a machine sort of like, it's back to the final question, could it do things essentially it wasn't programmed to do in some way, right? Um, Malak, I think fortunately, that's probably a deep question that we don't need to tackle so much for our business purposes, right? We're just trying to help get the yeah. word right uh, fundamentally. Um, but maybe a related concept is, uh, um, you know, like one of the fields where tackling is, um, live transcription, right? Like, you know, uh, maybe uh, you probably watch like sports, right? And you've got sure. closed captions, right? And they'll be done by someone. And that's maybe an area where um, a machine could get better quicker uh, relative to a human, right? That, you know, because a human can only type so fast, right? So uh, uh, there's more mistakes that are going to be made by people. And like, maybe it comes earlier that an AI generated live transcript is in a sense preferred. Uh, but one thing that's still a sticking point is uh, on occasion, the machine will make mistakes that like a human will never make. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, it's sort of like obvious, right? Maybe it gets back to your point of like understanding, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that a human might, you know, mishear something, but they'll probably come up with something that has probably it's like internal logic. Maybe you could say, right. Um, there, there's some like theory you could construct of why that person thought that's what was said, right? Whereas the machine, um, at least in our like today world, right, it doesn't have that sort of um, next level uh, right. of, of of logical consistency or um, um, or meaning, right? And so it could just come up with words that just really don't make sense at all, right? Uh, and so it like then becomes like very obvious, yes, that this was this was a machine, right? Yeah. Uh, and maybe that's one of the next frontiers that's trying to reduce those kinds of mistakes. I hope so, because autocorrect is not my friend. Um, I I live in a state where, and probably all states should be like this, where you cannot uh, text and drive or do anything like that unless it's autonomous. And so I will tell the technology while I'm driving, hey, uh, you know, voice activate, I'm going to do a voice activated text. And I start yeah. just talking and uh, send my text. And I don't have... Uh, um, to read that small print, I need my, my readers on. I don't have them on because yeah. I'm, I'm driving. Yeah. Uh, I've done this in conference rooms as well. And I hit send. And about 30 minutes later, I get a note from my colleague asking while I refer to his genitalia in a conversation. <laughs> and two things are concerning to me. One, what about my previous pattern? Did autocorrect think that would be right. an acceptable word to insert and, uh, and two, who else besides my colleague did that, you know, that right. was, fortunately it was a good friend of mine and it was a big thread with a bunch of other people and it was pretty funny, but, um, 
You know, yeah. it, it is uh, nobody would normally, unless they're going for shock value and in, in sort of their logic would say, yes, what he meant to say was that. No, I can assure you I did not. Right. No, that's interesting. You, you may be braver. I think yeah. I'm like, uh, uh, I don't think I would send something out to the world, which I haven't proofread just yet. Um, well, because you're not ignorant. You know, you know <laughs> what could go wrong. I was like, hey, let me just answer this real quick. What could be what could go wrong? Yeah, well, I was like, at some point, I was actually working on another talk, and I was in the car, and I was taking notes to myself. So I like, did the same thing, right? And of course, uh, you know, I got when I got home, and I read it, it was like fairly garbled. So I was like, ah, it's very meta. You know, it's like proving my very point uh, of like, um, of, of, of like, yeah, we're not, we're not quite, quite there yet. I heard uh, Melvin Greer, who is one of the chiefs, I think he's the chief scientist, but he's a science officer over at Intel. Um, and he, he talks a lot about artificial intelligence. We were on a panel together one time and somebody said, you know, what's the, what's the greatest machine on earth? And he's like, look, it's still the human brain. I know, I know it's very popular to, um, and there aren't, there are real risks to future work and to other things when we automate all these things, because one of the things that machines can do out of artificial intelligence can do is they can do things really, really, really fast. Absolutely. We can teach them to beat people at Go or chess, but it's almost impossible to get that chess machine to beat you at checkers. You'd have to then spend time doing that or whatever. Right. But that are in that just in this context of this conversation, it makes you think that the human brain is still probably the greatest decoder there is given sufficient amount of time. Like I can just sit there and listen. I'm exposed to, uh, new concepts while wow, you know facial expression all these other things it, it feels like at least for today we still have um an advantage yeah well i think maybe like one um interesting thing to think about and this is like where uh you know like rev being like in the intersection of human and ai maybe we'll have some like role to play in the future yeah. is i think we still haven't really figured out the optimal way for people and AI to work together, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. we can kind of like automate one problem, right? Or, uh, um, or we can leave it up to humans, right? But how do we kind of uh, uh, bring the best of both together in a way that's kind of iterative and builds on each other's strengths? I think we're still like very early on in figuring that out, right? Because like, well, AI hasn't been around for very long, right? right. Uh, like for us, it's, you know, like we're one of the only companies that does um, AI transcripts and human transcripts, right? But it's still like very much like a binary thing to our customers right now, right? Like I can say like, well, I want like um, very quickly, but something not as accurate, so I'll order an AI transcript, right? Or I need like perfect accuracy, so I order a human. But there's there's a spectrum there in between, right? Um, and uh, it's kind of up to us to figure out how to like, uh, how to blend them better. Um, yeah, and, you know that requires building like better tools, uh, in, uh, and and so on. Uh, maybe better controls for people, uh, to customize the AI. So I think this is like probably the most uh, exciting, I think, area, right? Yeah. Uh, um, like I, what I just described is for us narrowly in the world of speech recognition, but I think the same is sort of true in any area where we're applying AI, right? Uh, and the thing is like. Otherwise, it's very dangerous, right? Uh, if yeah. we kind of like, either we blindly rely on AI or we just, um, you know, don't use AI at all. Those those are two very uncomfortable 
uh, scenarios, right? Like maybe back to Dune, like I was right. thinking about this the other day, like Dune was a world where they rejected AI completely, right? Uh, that was like one of the overriding themes of the book is, you know, they had that Butlerian Jihad, right? Like where um, the humans revolted against AI. Um, and I think that's certainly like people, people do have some fear of it, you know? Uh, so I think it's up to us to kind of figure out how to harness it in a, in a good way to prevent that outcome right. from coming to pass. Because we want tools to augment us, we don't want them. Like we have no fear of hammers jumping up. Even though you can kill people with hammers, you can build things with hammers. You can, you know, hammers are amazing things. But they're they don't. We're not worried about hammers becoming self-aware and and um, or somebody else taking you know um, a, the rise of the hammers or something like that. So tools that, that augment our world, that, that embrace our world, uh, that allow us to flourish without being controlled or exploited, I think we absolutely embrace. The, the thing is, is that it, that tech is moving so quick. Like when you were talking, I was just imagining how valuable would it be to me, so my dream AI would be something like Jarvis or... Alfred from the Batman series, you know, that, that trusted senior advisor who loves me, that has, that has that metaphysical, emotional connection with me, and we somehow want our machine to do that, and, and knows the fact of the temperature of the lake, you know, on the other side of the world, and knows what, I, what color looks best in me, and will pull the second helping of dessert away from me. And so, you know, it's sort of that person there that is for me, and for my flourishing, but not controlling me, right? I don't need another master. I heard somebody say at church um, recently, it was really insightful. I've really been chewing on it. I need to come back to it. And they said, a human being, and, and whatever the scripture is, and it could be humanist, it could be a, a religious person or whatever, that knows the tenets of their belief but has no love is a tyrant. Like it is, it's used for wickedness. Always, in every case, I don't care if it's a, a society that doesn't elevate religion or a society that does elevate religion. So this is just a human condition that if you don't have, you got to have a, you have to have mercy and uh, justice because it's it the world collapses if you're focused on one or the other. And so artificial intelligence. When I was thinking about Rev AI or Rev while you were talking, to me that perfect blend is here's the facts of what was recorded. Here's who said it and when, and here's the themes. Like, like they could listen to the, the passion, not just read the word, but they could listen to the passion of the speakers and say, wow, Dave or Dan really doubled down on this idea. And, and you could just, and you might not be able to glean that from the written page, but there's some combination of things, maybe computers in the future, because I hear the timbre of my voice change or the, the speed at which I say something, but human beings pick that up now. And, yeah. and that combination of things allows me now to make not just the archival of this and the timestamp of it, but the, but the way that I can relate back to it that much more rich and um, the ability to convey to other people. Do you, you think that's a possibility? Um. Well, uh, yeah, it'll take some time together, but maybe building a little bit on what you said. Uh, yes, you want you want something that 
goes beyond the words, right? <laughs> you want it to be, to your point, I think, personalized to you, right? Uh, so mm -hmm. like your Alfred, maybe he is like uh, monitoring the meetings in which you might be interested in, right? And he'll surface things that you care about, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Not just like, you know, what some generic, you know, <laughs> tyrant right. you know, entity cares about. And so that, that requires a ton of infrastructure, like a way uh, of figuring out how to sort of like uh, have a optimization function for that for that AI that is like personal to you. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't think we're we're there yet, but um, I think it's definitely like the next the next frontier. Maybe some way to correlate. When I listen into conversations, sometimes I'm I, I'm not just word counting, but this person referred to some antonym related to um, flourishing, for example. I talk about that all the time. Yeah. Probably 30 times in this conversation, the conclusion I would draw as a human being of that is th they seem to be, or at least portraying themselves as somebody that's interested in these things. And so I, I could glean out of that conversation these associated words that convey and the way that they said them and they leaned in when they said it and you know or even if i'm just listening my eyes are closed i i can feel the emphasis as it goes and perhaps that's the next generation of um speech to text what can i infer from listening to a conversation whether i'm a person who i think has some ability to do that or a machine that supplements a person to help uh, draw that inference out. Yeah, yeah, we kind of think of it as kind of like speech to insights, right? Uh, yeah, that's what, that's that's yeah. where you ultimately want to get to, right? Uh, yeah. um, and of course, that that will take more time. But just even the speech to text, um, you know, uh, once it passes the certain barrier um, or, or certain threshold, and we're we're seeing it pass it, where for almost all the cases, it is accurate enough where it actually like captures the meaning in a qualitatively right way. Mm -hmm. uh, um, just imagine being able to like search across like all the things you've said in the past, you know, just as easily as you kind of like search Slack today, right? Uh, I don't know. That, that's that. That's like you know, even that. Even if we don't yet go to the meetings, that's pretty cool, right? Uh, well, you had brought up before a really cool application that I love. I happen to be very pro law enforcement, but I'm not pro-criminal law enforcement, and I'm not ignorant enough to believe, human beings being human beings, that there aren't people, even though they um, they put on a uniform and they say they're here to help human beings, you know, there's old phrase, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, right? And so one of the things I think Rev does, and I think you talked about it, is to working with organizations that can take the audio from body cam and other things and turn that into a transcript. And if you can take, if that's true, if you can get that into a searchable, contextual thing that a machine then can scan a million times faster than a human being can, it feels like that is a way that you can really bring value beyond just the way that I'm imagining it um, in my world. That's right. I mean, it's it's uh, it's about establishing kind of a, a shared truth, right? Uh, and this is like very difficult in today's world, right? Like it's very difficult to know the truth of these things. And um, mm -hmm. like you said, being able to like at scale, say like what really happened, right? Uh, 
I can draw my own conclusions, right? But at least I know what actually happened objectively. Um, mm -hmm. That's very powerful, uh, I think. Uh, and, yeah. And, and yeah, w once it's cheap and accurate enough, you can do it for everything, right? That's that's sort of the power, not just like for selected things. Um, How far do you think we are away from something like uh, lip reading? So, so we're sitting here having a conversation, and I... And if, and if uh, like one of the things that I submitted to Rev was from a YouTube video. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure it's just doing the audio, but how, how, what's the engineering difficulty to, to correlate? Here's these people in all these different languages saying these things, and I can have something focus in on this, the mouth and the speech pattern and the facial expression and correlate that with words and build up a whole, or am I stealing your thunder? Is this something you guys are always thinking about or how do we do uh, that? It's an area of uh, I would hesitate to say how far um, away we are. I don't think I'm expert enough to say okay. that. Uh, um, I'm a sort of engineer turned, you know, AI, I know. you know, <laughs> practitioner, um, right. but uh, it's like super active area of research, like, well, there's what they call like a multimodal AI, right? Like we're using both the audio and the image um, right. and people are making progress just to use the lips. I think obviously it's a little more difficult because like you have the microphone in front of you right now, right? right. Um, so that, um, uh, that, that doesn't help, but right. um, I'm, I'm sort of confident that on a long enough time scale, like we'll actually get there. Uh, right. Just because like given enough data, um, I, I think we'll get there. Well, I've seen people with the deep fake stuff, just a little bit of the deep fake where they'll, they'll take somebody speaking, usually it's a celebrity or politician yeah. or somebody, and they will, in the beginning, it was funny. It wasn't even deep fake. It was, you could tell just by looking at it that you're asserting words, but still the mannerisms met and it was funny and it was usually vulgar or whatever. People crack up. Now they're getting so good that it's, not just the video, but they're they're matching, you know, a synthetic word with the the shape of the mouth. My family watches um, a yeah. lot of anime, and so we see them. Whether we normally we watch it in its regular its original language, but not always. And many times they can dub in those words pretty well. They're getting much better even than they were ten years ago. And on the one yeah. hand, that's really cool. It's also a little scary. It is scary. I mean, we, we um, you know, we don't have that in our platform today, but like we did a hackathon project where we, you know, took, uh, I think Bill Gates and like Trump and whatever, right? And we like did a little, uh, you know, speeches and um, replacing our own voices with theirs. And you don't need even a ton of data. Like even a few hours, you can do something pretty good. Uh, that's like spawning its own like category of AI, right? Like now there's like speaker verification, which actually like now, detects whether it's real or not, right? So it's in a sense, it's going to be a race, a race uh, uh, to see which one improves faster. How far do you think we are from like live translation? I talk to you and it comes out in a mostly accurate, I've seen the Google uh, earbuds and, you know, it gets kicked around a lot, but that seems like such an interesting area to me to be able to interact with people. My friends just moved to Valencia, Spain, and they're English speakers. A lot of people there speak English. My daughter wants to go teach English in Korea. That's one of the things she's studying at school. And so this idea feels like 
wow, could you imagine having the freedom to be able to go someplace and to say something and have it, even if it's through your tethered device, in your experience, and, and you guys maybe are not close to, to this at all, but it feels for those of us not in this field that you would be uh, at least familiar with it. Is that, um, one, is that something you think is, you know, probably likely, in, I don't know, whatever the magic term is, three to five years, and it, would it be something that Rev would consider, or is that something you don't even talk about at the shop much? Uh-huh. Uh, no, I would say like, yes, yes to both of those things. I think it, it, it does fit very naturally into um, in, into what Rev wants to do, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Understand the human voice, like you, you pretty much just described it, right? Uh, uh, and um, and we have the data for it, you know, we have, we have um, one, one of the things we do uh, on the human side is also do subtitles, right? Like for for um, for videos, so not just captions in the same language, but captions in foreign languages. Mm-hmm. So that gives us a lot of data to train translation. Um, so just putting the pieces together, um, we've focused on English transcription, kind of like on building best in class English um, ASR, automated speech recognition engine, because that's where we have the biggest advantage. But these things yeah. are natural expansions for us, so. I think three to five years is a generous enough time frame. Okay. I'd say uh, it's definitely in our minds. It seems like the ubiquitous. Every time I listen to somebody talking about the future, it's three to five years. <laughs> you know, three to five years. Anyway, I've got one last question. I know we're, we're at time. When you talk to your wife and you look at your kids and you think about them, do, they, do you see in them an interest in getting into coding and programming are they more on an artistic side or what do you imagine what's the world going to look like for them think and we're we got our most positive hat on now what do you think the opportunities for them are where do you think they're going yeah i don't know the world is <laughs> it's you know wide open i think they change what they want to be on a on a roughly weekly basis you know um, yeah but well uh, i think my oldest at some point said that she wants to be um you know, she wants she wants to be like an animator of sorts right like uh like helping make um movies and stuff like this right. i think the reality is it's probably going to involve a computer in one way or another right like these days uh um so uh tbd i don't know if they necessarily follow exactly in dad's footsteps uh yeah but um uh but they're curious, you know, and like my daughter uh, had scratch on her uh, computer and she did a little bit of like, you know, those, you know, scratch, it's like you code with little blocks and stuff yeah. like that. Uh, so maybe the bug is planted. We'll see. Maybe the seed will take like some time to, to germinate. Uh, uh, and like, in a sense, actually, like, it's nice. I probably spend way too much time on the computer anyway. Right. So right now it's nice to confine most of my interactions with my kids to like the real world right. and like playing sports and, and running around. Uh, but I think eventually we'll probably be cutting together. Yes. Well, it seems like, you know, we're on a path to being cyborgs at some point. I mean, <laughs> now, you know, where's the computer in and the person begin? I, I don't know, but it is, uh, yeah, it's interesting opportunities uh, ahead of us. Now, are you based out of Austin or are you out in the Bay Area? I'm, I'm in the Bay Area. Yeah. yeah. Pretty close to Berkeley. Yeah, probably. Well, maybe we can start the clock on how soon uh, you join the Exodus out of the. It's such a beautiful place. My parents are from there in Santa Clara. 
And my grandparents um, relocated there from the Midwest a long time ago, end of middle of the 40s, end of the 40s. So long before it was Silicon Valley. But man, it's just not, I love that area. I think it's super beautiful, really cool people, but it's, it's, it's so different. It's almost unrecognizable from me learning uh, to drive in the 70s and early 80s out there. It's just a different place. Yeah. Uh, I think it's um, it's gonna be pretty difficult to convince my wife to go to any place that like uh, has ninety degree weather and mosquitoes uh, in the yeah. summer, you know. And here Fair we're enough. enjoying, you know, uh, you know, beautiful seventy degree weather, wine yeah. country, Tahoe. Yeah. It's yeah. it's uh, it's got its challenges, but yeah. And once all that riffraff moves out, you're gonna have you know less full freeways. So maybe it all work out. Right. That, that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I can tell you that from experience. <laughs> well, Dan, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. I know my listeners are going to appreciate it. Um, thanks for giving us your time. No, thank you. It was a super fun conversation. All right. And if you've also enjoyed the conversation, please like, share, subscribe, and comment. We'll see you next time, everybody, on the QTS Experience. Take care.